All right, so today we're wrapping up the series, Spot the Lie. What I hope that you have heard and experienced if you've been keeping up with this series is that uh, there's an enemy, the enemy of God who wants to disrupt the people of God from bringing him glory. We bring God glory when we live the life that we were created to live. And the enemy wants to prevent us from doing that. And his primary weapon is the lie. And he's really good at lying and deceiving us and tricking us and preventing us from glorifying God with the way that we live. And so we've talked uh, so far about how uh, we're really bad at, at like defining God on our own. We need uh, his definition of truth. Uh, and when we know the truth, then we can spot the lies, right? We're really bad at understanding who we are as human beings on our own. And when we know the truth from God, we can spot the lies that the enemy puts into the world around us. And today we're gonna wrap up by talking about um, the truth about the good life. What, what is the good life? What is the life that you, you would love to live? If you could imagine your ideal life. So you wake up tomorrow in your ideal life. Where are you? What, what house are you in? Where is that house located? Is it a cabin in the mountains? Is it a condo on the beach? Where, who's, who's with you? Who, who are the people that are invited into this existence? Who are the people who are not invited in? What are you gonna do all day? What's, what's the ideal way to spend your day? Is it, is it working, producing something, creating something, making something, interacting with people, or being by yourself? What, what's your ideal life look like? Uh, this is something that we all think about and we all pursue in, in, little, bit, in little ways. I, I think we understand it's not realistic to think that we're gonna live our ideal life every day, but we look, we look for moments, right? We try to get those moments as much as we can. Some of you call it vacation, right? That's, that's like, oh, these are the moments I get, to, I get to live the way I wish I could live all the time, right? So for me, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, 10, 10 years old, uh, my ideal life was playing basketball for a living. People, somebody just pay me a lot of money, let me play basketball, uh, and uh, then I can, I can buy all the Corvettes, pizza, ice cream that I want. That was the ideal life for me at, as a 10-year-old. And unfortunately, uh, my genetics did not work in my favor, and, uh, and, uh, and I realized it's, it's really hard uh, to do that for a living. But even at 46, I kind of look at that and go, that would, be, <laughs> that would still be pretty nice. Like, I, I, I kind of think, you know, that, that would be okay. But that picture, that little vision I had of, of what an ideal life would look like when I was a kid, it didn't include some things that in my life I, I am so glad I have and I wouldn't trade for anything. I mean, we're just, we're just not real good at... at being realistic and, and thinking through and understanding what, what makes for an ideal life. And I think um, that's, this is the enemy's job is to distort that picture for us. So let's talk for a minute about what's, what's not true about the good life, what, what the good life isn't. And then we'll get to uh, some scripture where we understand and learn what the good life is, that God has created us for and empowered us to live. So how does the enemy try to trip us up? What are some things that we might believe uh, about what the good life really is that are, that are not true. Uh, some, some things that I think we come into us uh, from the culture is that, that your, your life is, your goal of your life is, is your own personal happiness. Like just find the thing that makes you happy and that's what you should focus on. That's what you should orient your life around. Make your decisions based on that. Just be happy. You, you, the goal is to be free, to be your unique self, right? The goal is to be in control or have power maybe, or be associated with people who are in control and have power, be a part of a group like that. That's, that's sort of like 
the, the picture that we get. Some people think that, that humanity uh, is, is evolving in a positive way, that we're just naturally becoming uh, more moral, more ethical, uh, better societies. Uh, some of us, you know, are like, read the newspaper. Um, other people, like the other extreme version of that is like humanity is devolving, like we're getting worse all the time and morality is declining. We're just gonna destroy ourselves, which is why we have so many books and, and movies and TV shows that we would put in the post-apocalyptic category. Have you heard that phrase, post-apocalyptic? Um, is like, well, we're gonna destroy ourselves. So let's imagine what it'll be like when that happens. <laughs> That's a fun, uh, fun thought experiment, right? So what, what are these uh, cultural stories that, that come from TV and movies. One of the things that I hope that we can do, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent, you have an opportunity to give a gift to your kids by teaching them to evaluate the messages that come to us from movies and music and TV shows. So let me show you a little bit of what, what that might look like. Um, there's a, a movie called The Life of Pi. Anybody seen that? It's got a tiger in it. I'm a sucker for tigers. There's a very clear message in this movie that the meaning of life is found in the freedom to choose your own way. That's what makes life meaningful. That's the good life, being able to choose your own way. What about this classic, It's a Wonderful Life? Any It's a Wonderful Life fans watch it every year at Christmas time? I think I've seen it once when I was a kid. Somebody made me watch it. Okay, but this is a, it's a classic movie. The very clear message of this movie is that meaning of life is found in the impact that you have on others. You guys see that? Those of you that are fans or remember that movie? Uh, what about a movie that's called The Pursuit of Happiness? You know there has to be a message there. It's, it's right in the title. We're gonna tell you how to find happiness. And you watch the movie and you're like, this is a sad movie, <laughs> right? But meaning in life is found in persevering through suffering. That's just getting through the hard times. That's, that's where you find meaning in life. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got Freddie Mercury, the great philosopher, saying, hey, there, there is no meaning in life. So you might as well just do whatever makes you happy. These are the messages that come, come to us through our movies. And then we've got messages coming to us from our phones, right? We, we, we're on our phones a lot and we scroll through things, social media and the news and whatever, your Twitter feed or whatever it is. And, and we scroll through absentmindedly looking for meaning from how other people think and think about us and how we think about other people. And we find our meaning in that I just want to encourage you, this is, this is not part of the message, this part's for free, that if, if you find yourself like kind of compulsively checking your phone or like there's a need, there's something that draws you and, and you're just, you have it with you and you're checking it all the time, maybe this is a good season, this kind of season of contemplating the cross and leading up to the crucifixion, that you take a step back from that and just ask the question, am I, am I going to my phone constantly to find meaning? Like, am I, am I checking, am I looking for value? Somebody to tell me that I matter by what I'm looking for on the other end of this phone? That's a good question to ask because that's one of the messages that, that our, our phones try to send to us. Is this, this is how you know you matter, is how people respond to you on social media or how, how you interact and the people that you agree with, the people that you disagree with. Th those are the messages that come to us from the world. So you could even uh, Google, how do I find meaning in life? Or how do I find the good life? I actually Googled that. I Googled, how do, how do I find the good life? And, and I read, you know, kind of the top 20 articles or whatever and sifted through those. And, and I found this one that's a, just a good summary. There's this paragraph that's a good summary of everything I found just by Googling this. This is from Rebecca Sparks, who's a confidence coach. Um, so if you need, need a phone number for that, we'll pass that out later. Um, here's what she says. Just get out of your head and into your heart. This is where you will be guided 
to the answer. Success is about living life on purpose. No one, however well-meaning, can tell you what that purpose is or what you should be doing. Do not live your own life by someone else's definition of success. Okay, so we're, we're practicing spotting the lie. So first of all, do we, do we see any truth in this? Is there any truth in that? Can we put that back on the screen for just a second? Let's look at this for a minute. Do you see any truth there? The, the truth is you, you should have a purpose to your life. Like there, there is a reason to live a life on purpose. That's true. The truth is also like you shouldn't base your definition of success on what other people think about you. But we kind of started off on the wrong foot with this line, get out of your head and into your heart. Your heart, you can trust your heart to guide you into meaning and purpose and, and the good life. Is that true? Is that true based on your experiences in life? Have you ever followed your heart into something that was destructive and painful? Also, we are extremely complicated people. Our hearts are not always like given the choice of left or right. And you gotta, you know, and our hearts are like, we'll go left. A lot of times it's more complicated than that, isn't it? When, when I come home from work, my heart says, I, I wanna sit down with my wife. I wanna catch up on her and fi find out about her day. My heart also says, I wanna check in with the boys. Let's go do something fun with the kids. My heart also says, I really just wanna sit on the couch for a couple hours and watch TV. Well, which, how do I follow my heart there? My heart is telling me three different things. And there's probably a fourth, there's a snack involved somewhere, right? Man, we're, it's just not that simple. It's not that clear cut. If, if the message is follow your heart, if that's, if that's the path to the good life, man, there's a lot of people doing that that are not experiencing the good life because it's complicated and our hearts change. I used to think I wanted to be a literature teacher. Guys, literature. I was reading Shakespeare and Dickens and Dostoevsky and I thought, this is gonna be my life. I think about that now, I'm like, how boring. Like, I still like literature, but it's mostly like science fiction now, maybe the occasional comic book. Like I'm not reading Charles Dickens anymore. My heart changed on that and our hearts change all the time. So follow your heart is a recipe for confusion and wandering aimlessly, isn't it? So if that's not true, what is true? What's true about the good life? We know that we're bad at determining these things for ourselves. We know that as soon as we step out from under this umbrella of what God has sort of defined, and we say, well, I, I wanna explore the good life for myself. Like, I know what God says, I wanna explore it for myself. As soon as we step out, we are entering the enemy's territory. We're, we're stepping onto his playing field. And we start, and we have to play by his rules. And his rules are, I am not gonna give you the straight truth, ever. You're not gonna get the truth. You're gonna get like these little hints of truth that are woven around this lie. So we gotta be really careful when we step outside of what God has decided. So let's look at what God actually says about what the good life is, what your purpose is. I mean, most of us realize like we want to live a life of purpose. That's kind of like the direction we wanna go. We wanna be involved in something that's meaningful and fulfilling. So what, what does that look like for followers of Jesus? Here's how Paul writes. Paul's writing to this church in Corinth and just encouraging them and reminding them what they're made for. So here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter five. We read some of this last week. If you remember, we're gonna kind of pick up where we left off last week. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Paul's saying, when you turn your life over to Christ, you're baptized into his death, something dies. This old part of you that was sort of focused on self-preservation and self-gratification is dead. And you are now a new human, a new kind of human. And so you have this new purpose that is infused into 
your new humanity. What is that purpose? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So reconciliation is about um, solving a conflict, identifying a conflict that is keeping two people or two groups of people apart and solving that conflict, removing it so those groups, those two people can be in relationship with each other. And so what God recognizes, there's a conflict, there's a problem, there's an obstacle to my relationship with human beings, and it's called sin. And so Jesus comes and he deals with sin and and pays for it with his blood on the cross. That part of the conflict is solved. The other part of the conflict is death. Death separates us from God. He's the giver of life. So Jesus deals with death through his resurrection. So sin and death are dealt with. Therefore, we can now be reconciled. We can be brought into relationship with God and be a part of his family. And, it, and uh, Paul finishes with this. Now, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, dealt with sin, dealt with death, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Paul would go on to say that we are Christ's ambassadors, right? We have been given this message of reconciliation. That means our purpose, if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason why God doesn't just take you straight to heaven when you get baptized, right? Have you ever wondered that? Like, can we just skip the the rest of this and just go be with Jesus? Like, the reason why he leaves us here is because we have this purpose, this meaning, this ministry of reconciliation. It's our job to tell other people that God has dealt with sin and death so that you can be a part of his family. That's our job. Like, okay, that sounds good, how do you do that? Like, what, if you wake up Monday morning and you go, all right, my job is I'm a minister of reconciliation. What's the job description? Like, what do I do? Do I still go to work? Do I still go to the grocery store? Like, what, how do I live? Well, thankfully, we're not really left to figure that out on our own. Jesus gives us a pretty clear description of the life of someone who is is called to be a messenger of reconciliation. Um, and there, there's a lot of places to find this in scripture, but we're gonna go to Jesus first. Uh, in Matthew chapter five, uh, there's this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And the way Jesus starts off is he's gonna tell people, here's the path to the good life. Here's the path to the good life. Now, if you, uh, if, imagine you're, you're, you're going to a conference and there's a speaker that's gonna get on stage and he's gonna tell you the path to the good life. And this is someone that has done some amazing things in their life. You can see very clearly that they have something special going on. You're like, there's got to be some wisdom here. There's got to be some, some, some kind of life-changing message from this person who's gonna tell me the path to the good life. And so you're leaning in. Imagine all these people, thousands of people listening to Jesus, and they're like, here it comes. He's gonna tell us a secret. He's gonna tell us exactly what to do to experience life that we were created for. And here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're like, well, that's not a very strong start, Jesus. Like, that's not really something on my to-do list. That's not something I aspire to. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, but okay, you're, you're the miracle guy. We've seen you heal people. You know, you did the 5,000 feeding thing. I'll listen. Okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. You're like, Jesus, this is, this is not getting any better. Like, I don't want to mourn. Like, I don't want to be sad. Who wants to be sad? I want to be happy. Why, why, are, we, why are we blessing those who, who mourn? for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. <laughs> okay, now, now I don't think I understand at all what you're saying. The, the meek? I've never wanted to be identified as meek. Like, that's not the nickname I want, Adam the meek. You know, is that, is that your nickname? You're gonna walk in the room and well, here comes Justin the meek. Yay, and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't wanna be meek. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And it just doesn't really get much different as we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't want to be hungry and thirsty. I want to be full, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And here's the kicker. This is how Jesus sort of wraps up this little section. Like, all right, guys, here's what this is all about. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Like, that, is, that has never been on my life goal. When you, when you, when you see the, you've seen the kindergarten graduation where they ask the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, do any of the kids ever say, I can't wait to grow up and be persecuted? This is the path to the good life, according to Jesus. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about here? How can this possibly be the path to the good life? Well, we think of blessing as something that God is doing for us, right? The way N.T. Wright talks about this concept of blessing in the Beatitudes is this is not about what God wants to do for you. This is about what God wants to do through you. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? There's just no self-righteousness here. It's just humility. It's, it's coming open-handed, going, God, I, I need something from you. I am poor. I need something from you. God said, it's through the poor in spirit that the kingdom of heaven is gonna come. Blessed are those who mourn, who, who are able to recognize oppression and injustice and the destruction that evil causes in the world and be sad about it and lament and cry when bad things happen to people. Blessed are those who mourn because those who mourn will be comforted and then they will then be able to comfort others. Blessed are the pure in heart. What is, what is purity? Purity is, there's only one thing. Like pure gold, there's nothing in it but gold, right? So a pure heart has nothing in it but love for God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the persecuted because these are the people that have voluntarily stepped in to a bold and countercultural lifestyle that's gonna put them in conflict with the world. And blessed are those people. That, that's faith. What God wants to do through us for the sake of the world comes through a choice to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful. So this is what Jesus says is the path. And now Jesus is gonna, in, in, the, in Luke's version, Jesus kind of moves over to something uh, a little different. He's gonna, he's gonna flip the script and go to the other side. He's gonna talk about the woes. Here, so we got blessing. This is what God wants to do through you. And woe is like, you're in trouble. Like this, you're, you're on the wrong path. If, if you're getting a woe from Jesus, you're on the wrong path. So here's, here are the woes from Luke chapter six. Woe to you who are rich. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? What's wrong with being rich, you know? Like, most of us sort of aspire to that. I mean, a lot of, you know, what we dream about as we're going through and you're, 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 you're doing algebra because you're like, someday, <laughs> this is gonna pay off, right? You know? I have to read this dumb Shakespeare play, but someday it's gonna get me into a college so I can get a good job so I can be rich. Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort, 
Woe to you who are well fed now. He's speaking this to people. There's gonna be a lot of people in this crowd that scrap every day just to put food on the table. Their dream is to be well fed. He says, woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. Jesus is not talking about just being a, a, you know, a, a positive, joyful person. He's talking about those who look at oppression and injustice in the world and they go, that's got nothing to do with me. That's not my problem. They can laugh about it because it doesn't affect them personally. What do you laugh now? For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That, that seems counterproductive, right? We don't want speak, people to speak ill of us. Jesus is talking about what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the praise of other people? Are you pursuing uh, the approval of others? That's, that's the wrong path. That's not the path to the good life. For that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. So what we have here is we've got the blessings, which is good news for people who are not expecting good news. The poor in spirit, the meek, the mourners, they're not expecting good news and they get it. We've got the woes, this bad news for people that are not expecting bad news. The rich, the well-fed, the popular, the well-respected, they expect good news and they get bad news. If you put those two lists side by side and you go, all right, here are my choices. I could, I could live a life poor in spirit, mourn, meekness, persecuted for doing good things, or I could be rich, well-fed, people speak well of me. What choice are you gonna make, right? If you, if you got a career path and you're like, this one is gonna lead to meekness, persecution, hunger and thirst, or this one will lead to rich, well-fed and respected. Which career path are you taking? Common sense says, what does Jesus say? If we're going to be ministers of reconciliation, if we're gonna live out our God-given, our God-created purpose, there is a path. This is why later in this same sermon, he calls it the narrow road because few are gonna choose this path. Few are gonna choose this path. It's a tough path, but it is the way to the good life, the life of peace and joy and purpose that we were created for. Guys, the path to the good life is Jesus-centered living where our lives are characterized by the life of Christ. And the life of Christ was characterized by sacrificial love and selfless service. Sacrificial love and selfless service. That's the good life. Like, are you sure that's the good life? Because I see other people living what looks like a good life and that's not how I would describe it. I think we can see moments in our lives where sacrificial love and selfless service would have, would have served us well. When I was just out of college, I uh, was in uh, youth ministry in this tiny church in this uh, town in Southeast Kentucky. And I, uh, I, at one point I told somebody in the church that I played soccer in college. And so this lady went and told her son-in-law uh, that, that our, our youth minister played soccer in college. And so this guy comes to me, uh, introduces himself. His name is Skeeter Sima. You never forget a Skeeter if you meet a Skeeter. Uh, he, he had, he had long, you know, hair down his back. Uh, he was Italian and soccer was his, his world. I mean, this guy was a soccer guy inside and out. Um, in fact, he didn't call it soccer. He called it football. That's how you know, okay? Uh, so uh, he was the, the high school soccer coach and he said, I need a middle school coach. You're, a, you're like a youth, you're good with kids. Would you coach our middle school team? I was like, sure, yeah, uh, love to. Um, that was the interview, that was it. And so he turned me loose with this middle school soccer team and uh, 
And what I failed to tell him was that before I got to college, I had never played soccer before. That our college was so small and uh, they struggled so much to put a soccer team on the field that they basically just put a call out and said, if you can run 100 yards without falling over, we need you. I was like, I can do that. So I played soccer in college, but not like he probably thought when he heard me say I played soccer in college. I didn't know anything about soccer. I didn't know how to coach soccer. So I successfully coached this team to an 0-10 season. Uh, after about seven games, he started showing up at the games and watching what was going on. And by the end of the season, he pulled me aside and he was like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? <laughs> I was like, what was your first clue? He said, well, the kids like you and you guys have a lot of fun in practice, but man, you're not learning much about soccer. And I was like, yeah, I know. Because I don't know what I'm doing. So why didn't I tell him that to begin with? because there was something in me that wanted to protect myself. Like I wanted this opportunity. I wanted him to like me. I wanted him to speak well of me. I wanted him to think well of me. I wanted this opportunity for influence. And so I just kind of buried this truth that he really needed to know (laughs) because I made it about me. And in that moment, selfless service would have been what was best for everybody, wouldn't it? We've gotta be honest with ourselves. Like, where, where are we in our lives? Where are we living in a way that's really about self-preservation and self-gratification? Where are we choosing the, the path that Jesus would say woe to? Like, if you're going down the road toward rich, well-fed, and people speak well of you, Jesus is saying, whoa, don't go that way. There's a better path. There's a path that actually leads to the good life and lets you live out this ministry of reconciliation, this, this purpose to communicate to everyone around you that they matter to God so much that he dealt with their sin at his own cost, that he conquered death at great sacrifice so that they could be a part of his family. This is your job. This is your mission. This is your ministry. This is your purpose. So, just want to wrap up by offering some suggestions. How can we show someone else how much they matter? Because if people begin to think they matter to us, then they're just a step closer to believing that they matter to God. And when they think they matter to God, then they can believe that they matter so much to God that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So who do you know? Think about this for just a second. Who do you know that that maybe they don't know how much they matter to you or maybe they don't know how much they matter to God. Who do you know that fits one or both of those categories? They don't know how much they matter to you or they don't know how much they matter to God. How can you show them this week through sacrificial love and selfless service that they matter? Just a couple of suggestions. Uh, one is just write an encouraging note. Okay, don't just write an encouraging note. Send it in the mail, right? Uh, How many of you, every time you get a handwritten note in the mail, a card in the mail, it's handwritten, you see that it's handwritten, and you go, I don't have time for that, and you rip it up and throw it in the trash? Nobody ever does that. Nobody does that. Because a handwritten note communicates value. Somebody took the time to go beyond texting me, which takes 10 seconds, and they actually got out a physical pen and physical paper, and they wrote on it, they put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, took it to the post office, and mailed it. That's value. Man, you can show somebody that they matter to you by just a handwritten note. It's very simple. 
maybe uh, you, you, can know, you can identify somebody in your life that doesn't know how much they matter to you or maybe doesn't know how much they matter to God and you could sacrifice some of your, the most valuable resource on the planet. Anybody know what that is? The most valuable resource on the planet is your me time, your me time. Like I got time that's obligated. You know, I have to do some things, but whenever I get time that's not obligated, oh man, that's the good stuff. That's me time. What if I sacrifice some of my me time to sit down and listen to another human? Every human I've ever met likes to talk about themselves. Not necessarily in like a narcissistic way. We just like to talk about ourselves. And we like to talk about ourselves so much that there's very little listening happening. <laughs> We're all just telling stories about me. And whenever, whenever you tell a story, all, all I hear is something that reminds me of a story about me that I'm t- and then I've got to tell my story about me. There's very little listening going on. What if I sacrifice some me time just to sit and listen to somebody? And part of listening, here's another tip, part of listening is to put away the phone. Like just cut your right arm off and set it on the side, okay? That's how it feels sometimes, I know. You're like, well, what if, what if something important happens? Well, what's important is the person who's right in front of you. Let them be important. Let them be the thing that's important. And just sit and listen without your phone nearby so that you can give your attention Do you know what attention communicates? You matter. You matter to me. You matter so much to me that I don't even care what happens on the other end of this phone right now. I just care about you. And if I can convince you that you matter to me, maybe I convince you that you matter to God so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Finally, um, maybe this is an opportunity to find a way to serve. And, and, and the obstacle for most of us in serving uh, more than we're serving now is um, time, right? So what if you gave up something that takes up a lot of your time? For a lot of us, this might be television. So listen, the time we spend watching TV or movies or YouTube or whatever it is you do on your screen, what if you said, just for this season leading up to the, the crucifixion, we're in this contemplating the cross devotional. What if you said, just during the time of this devotional, no TV. What could I do with the time that I normally spend looking at a screen? How could I serve someone who needs to know they matter with this time? Just an idea, just a suggestion. None of this is in the Bible. God doesn't command you to stop watching TV and serve people. But Jesus says the path, the path, the path to the good life is meekness. You leverage your strength for the sake of others. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's being merciful. It's being willing to live such a bold, countercultural lifestyle that you're gonna be persecuted for that. That's the good stuff because that's where people find that they matter to God so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him not perish but have everlasting life. We get an opportunity to do that. And we, we buy into this lie that makes us shrink our world down so small. The lie is you need to be important. You need to be important. And for most of us to be important in this world, we have to shrink our world down pretty small. So we can, we can be a big person in a really small story. And guys, that's a small purpose. That's a small life. Or we can recognize that we're invited to be a small person in a really big story. That's big time purpose. That's big time life. You're invited to be a small person in a very big story about reconciliation between God and man. We can do that. Jesus-centered living, which is characterized by sacrificial love and selfless service. So I invite you to pray about this with me.
Uh, would you go ahead and stand? We're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a song, uh, just sort of a, a declaration of the goodness of God as we, as we close here today. It's because God has been good to us that we would even consider the path that Jesus has put in front of us. So let's pray. I, what I want you to uh, do as we pray is ask God to put somebody on your heart that maybe doesn't know how much they matter to you or maybe doesn't know how much they matter to God. Just ask God for a name. We believe that the Holy Spirit speaks, right? Does the Holy Spirit move? Is he alive and well? He, he does things in our hearts and in the world. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Whatever name he puts on your heart, you're gonna take a step this week to show them that they matter to you and hopefully that they matter to God as well. Would you pray about that with me? Father, thank you for Jesus and his life and teaching. He taught us how to live in a way that honors you and then he did it. And we're so grateful for that. We're grateful, God, that you conquered sin and death so that we could be in your family. And not everybody knows that. God, would you put somebody on our heart this morning that needs to know how much they matter to you? And God, would you give us the humility, the meekness, poverty of spirit, the purity of heart to lay down our lives, to give up some time, to be inconvenienced for the sake of communicating value to somebody that matters to you. We pray that you receive glory for every good thing and every life changed. In Christ's name we pray, amen.